what does Cheryl want most? Anyone will tell you, oh, Grammy. My clarity is so clear that other people know how to show up for me. And I think that that's a big missing for a lot of musicians. If you want to tour and to do Spotify and to do licensing and to do this, like amazing. Yes, I am a big fan of doing all the things, but what's the most important thing right now? Like, What is the thing that's going to give you the biggest step up to help all the other things that you want to do? And if you can give yourself the gift of focusing on that one thing and the clarity of like, this is what I'm going after right now, then other people are going to know how to step up. If you don't know what you want, people are not going to know how to show up and help you. Hey, this is Jason Tonioli. I'm a piano player that grew up believing it wasn't possible to earn a living and support a family with music. I've proven that idea was wrong and have met hundreds of other people who have found success with their music. This podcast features stories of musicians who have found their own personal version of success and fulfillment in both music and life. This podcast is meant to inspire musicians and help them believe in their abilities and motivate them to share their talents with others. This is the Successful Musicians Podcast. Welcome to the podcast today. Today, our guest is Cheryl B. Engelhart, a fellow New Age piano artist. But Cheryl, you have some exciting things that have been happening for you. You have a Grammy nomination that is coming up. That's not something that very many New Age people can say if they're piano players. So congratulations on that. Those who aren't familiar with her work, definitely go check it out. You've had over 40 placements on TV and film type of licensing opportunities. But one of the things I think is really interesting is you were telling me that you are a coach but you're a certified trauma coach as well. So you just got a really interesting resume to thank to share with the audience today. But Cheryl, fill in the blanks of where I missed. And then tell us a little bit about how you ended up in a music career. Well, thank you. No, I mean, you kind of covered a lot of stuff there. I'm happy to be here and I appreciate talking to you and anyone that's listening. And yeah, I mean, this is Grammy nominated album, The Passengers, my seventh album. Ironically, my first to not be performing an acoustic grand piano or using vocals, which are the two things that I historically have done a lot of and get called for composing for films and commercials for those skills. It was something I created on a train. It's an ambient album that has a bunch of different guest artists on it. There is an acoustic element to it. So it feels sort of that new age ambient crossover. So to keep talking about piano, piano, I'm like, it's so funny that this uh, <laughs> the Grammy is like not even a piano. I mean, there's piano sounds on it, but I did start playing the piano when I was little. Yeah. With that album, you've got such a cool story behind it with being a passenger. And it was, I think you did it even kind of almost post-COVID or, or still probably had a little bit of the COVID restrictions on it, which made it even more interesting to film and, and record. It was like the peak of COVID in early 2022. It was the reason the Grammys got moved. I was going to take the train to go from New York to Los Angeles and just sort of make it a, a trip out of it to go attend the Grammys just as a, a voter, as an attendee. And they moved the Grammys because of this COVID peak to April. So yeah, we were definitely in it for sure. And I was glad I had my own room. So everyone was masked and you'd go eat in the, but they had a lot of restrictions around the train experience, I think, because of COVID. But I didn't feel the impact of that really. Well, let's rewind back. How did you end up? Did you grow up wanting to be a piano player? Did your parents encourage it? Yeah, I grew up being a piano player. I started taking lessons when I was like two or three or something. And I loved being in choirs, but I didn't have pictures of rock stars or pianists or anything like that. In my life. I was like dolphins and whales. Like I was like marine biology. That's what I'm doing. And I went to Cornell and I was studying marine law, actually, and a little bit of biology. I think my major was called biology in society. But I was taking all these electives for music technology, really like film scoring and the tech behind aligning music to picture and all of the stuff back then. And my advisor said, hey, if you take a couple more classes, you can actually double major. We didn't have minors then. It was just double major. That's it. 
And I was like, okay, let's do that. So I had this double major, graduated with this dual degree thing. And my first job out of college was scuba diving for the government, doing water quality research. And it was not, music was sort of that hobby thing until I got asked to leave the scuba diving thing and go to Rome, Italy for a month, like a year after I graduated and help create some videos and write music for these videos for this really fancy hotel that they wanted for their website. I was like, if this is where music takes me, like, I mean, I know science was taking me underwater. Underwater is cool, but like, this is way cooler. So I came back to New York. I got a job as a messenger for a video editing house. And through that, I met a companies I would deliver these digibated tapes to in New York City. And I met a jingle house that the music for these commercials. And I started working there after bugging them for about 11 months. Every time I delivered anything, I said, hey, do you have a job open? And one thing led to another. I started doing my own music there, put a band together, did the New York City sort of Bleecker Street shows, live shows, started touring, left the Jingle House to tour more, all the while dealing with my own anxiety and panic of being in the music industry. I was dating a mountain guide at the time who was now my husband. And so a lot of stuff just felt up in the air. And that's how I started creating new age music because I couldn't find anything that really could enhance my meditation experience without either putting me to sleep or pulling me from it. Like classical music, the melodies, my ear would just go to that and I wouldn't be doing what I needed to do in the moment, which is processing what was going on for me and not pushing it down. So I started creating music that would latch onto heart rates and I brought in some of that biometric sort of dorky stuff from college and one thing led to another. Now I'm a bunch of albums in, like I said, seven albums or a couple pop records and then a couple new age records and here we are. I'm curious, as you were diving into that music, has your family and other people been really supportive of that? Or have they kind of given you the idea of like, you're, you have this great job with the government, you're scuba diving, you're doing your dream, what are you doing? Yeah, I didn't get like so much resistance. My dad was an engineer who also played the upright bass. My mom was a teacher who also did art. And I think, you know, in college, I do remember a conversation of me talking about my music classes inside of the major, they were the same amount of credits, same amount, they counted towards my GPA as much as the science classes. But I do remember my mom saying, hey, okay, cool, tell us about the important classes. And I think there was this sort of, with no malintent, right? Like no malicious, like non-support, it's always been a lot of support. But I think that there was this cultural sort of, you don't do art for a career, like that's silly. You stand on your own two feet, you get a good job, and that means someone else is paying you. I mean, and I've been freelance, composer, working on projects, composing for social justice choirs, doing comedy things for fun and not funny, uh, collegehumor.com. I'd scored a bunch. So I'm always project-based since I left the Jingle House in, I think it was like 2007. And I really defied a lot of that learning that I had to unlearn that in order to stand on your own two feet and to make an income, you have to be working for someone else. But they've 100% supportive to answer that question in a short answer in the way they know how to best, right? To hear all these stories, I think everybody has their own story with how they get there. And it's interesting how many of us maybe didn't intend to do the music career, but through a whole bunch of weird winding roads, we end up doing what we're doing. Yeah, totally. For a long time, a yes to opportunities, meaning I didn't really know what I wanted the career to look like. I just was like, oh, this friend is a producer for college humor, a friend of a friend. I should tell her that I do music. And then boom, now I'm writing music for college humor videos. And so it was sort of like I would speak up and turn small opportunities into the opportunity, but it was never like, I'm going out and getting this. And I started realizing that I was getting a little exhausted because I felt like my life wasn't my own. Like I was saying yes to things that were taking me down roads that were like very cool. And I had this whole like, most musicians would kill for this opportunity. Like I should be liking this. I should be grateful, like a lot of shoulds. And for me, a should is a very good red flag that like something's up and I need to take a look at something. And so then I went the complete other way where I was like, okay, I'm going to declare everything I want. I'm going to go after it. And I sort of put these blinders on. I'm like, let me really define what I want, get clear because clarity is the key to everything, which I still believe. 
then I became exhausted in a different way because then I was responsible for generating 100% of everything, like the opportunities, the people, the money. And like what I realized and sort of have found the balance over time is that having a nice balance of being really clear on what I want, but also being open to things coming in that might get me there in a different way that I wasn't expecting. And to have this balance between generating exclusively and receiving and sort of being a yes to things that I wasn't planning for and having a nice balance between the two of those. And that makes for a really interesting career that I don't get bored of. And it also makes for an intentional one. So I don't think I've ever met anybody that has the name coach and trauma inside of a title. So talk more about what that is and what does that mean? Yeah, I've been into personal development and my own growth and some of my biggest results that I got in my own career were when I was working with a career coach and I knew there was something there, there about taking those blinders off, being seen by someone else, being a mirror, having a different perspective. So I had been a program where you get trained to be a career coach and with a little bit of like personal sort of life coach stuff for over 15 years. And I had a ton of training in that and I have always really found it interesting to I get asked to speak on a lot of music business panels and I hear a lot of the same questions. And to be able to answer those from a place of let's look at what's blocking you and said, well, here's what I did. There's a hundred ways to get on TV placements. There's a hundred different ways to get on Spotify playlists. There's a hundred ways to tour successfully without losing money. I know what I did that worked, but that may not be the way for you to do it. And I see a lot of people that call themselves coaches in the music marketing world. They're actually just sharing their stories or their opinions and it's advice, which is a beautiful thing to get. And it's a perspective, but it's not actually getting to the core of what's stopping that person. It's usually not that they need the newest marketing strategy or that they need to put more time or money into something. It's usually because there's some element of unconscious self-sabotage that got trained from when they were really young. Like if you grew up for, I'll give you an example. If you grew up in a household where you had a parent or maybe both parents were unpredictable in terms of their moods or how they treated you, and there was like an element of chaos, that chaos got normalized and it turns into your comfort zone, even though it doesn't feel comfortable. Chaos, we're just using this one example for this one type of person, is the norm. So if you get into a situation where there's a possibility for stability, financial stability or relationship stability or something, that's outside of your comfort zone. So your body is going to subconsciously somehow sabotage that peace, that stability, because it's not chaos. It's not familiar. And we got to get back inside of the familiar. So imagine like growing up with, it's hard to make money. You can't make money as an artist or whatever your flavor of some sort of learned embodied statement is. And then going out and trying to do the exact opposite. Anytime you get ever, ever get close to it, you're going to do something to get you out of that potential success that you've wanted. You, of course you want, but it's all built in. And so it may not be trauma capital T that we think of like in terms of an event, like a car crash or a divorce or assault or something. But there's some level of lowercase trauma that we've all experienced in some way that we get learned. And then if we are not conscious of it, we're just going to keep spinning our wheels. So I really learned that musicians, a lot of musicians, all humans have something to uncover about and discover about themselves that is going to feed more into their success than any typical marketing strategy, which I also provide. I'm an email dork. I think email marketing is really important. I teach about that too. But really being able to connect to yourself is going to allow you to connect to your fans and therefore shift how you get results. I love what you're saying about the marketing. So I grew up as a marketing director at a bank for 12 years. I was building the first websites at this bank back in 2001 when that was just barely becoming a thing. And I've loved marketing. As I look back on my career, I dropped out of the music program at school on the second day. And I went over to the marketing department as the best decision I ever made. 
And what I'm hearing from you is you're geeking out on this marketing nerdy stuff. And I love that. But I think for a lot of musicians, one of the most valuable skill sets that I see a lot of really talented, musically talented musicians have is they either lack the marketing know-how or they refuse or don't want to at least explore that. And and they want to kind of push that responsibility of telling their story or marketing themselves off onto somebody else. And I think as I see a lot of really successful people in the music business, they've typically figured out how to master the marketing side. I'm curious your thoughts on how you ended up deciding, how did you learn your marketing thing and what pushed you to that? I mean, when I first started touring like back in like 2006, I knew that I wanted to stay in touch with anyone that I was at a show, whether I was in Bern, Switzerland, or Utah. And so I was like, I guess I should get your email. This is when MySpace was just crashing and I knew you couldn't depend on that. And so I just always had an email list and I stayed in touch with them. I was super vulnerable. And I learned really early on that that was valuable. At one point I had around a thousand emails, a thousand bands on my list. And I did a crowdfunding campaign and I was like, let's see if anyone wants to contribute. I'm going to make all these different levels from like $50 all the way to 2000. I was like, you can come to the studio and sing with me. People bought that one. And I fan funded (laughs) two albums with around definitely less than 2000 fans for about $20,000 each. And I really got that cool all through email. I was like, all right, let's see what else that I don't know about. Like I've been just running it the way I know. So I started going to like marketing conferences, like totally not music industry related at all. I'm like, let's go to the people that know how to do this. Cause I don't even think record labels. And I don't think anyone in the music industry inherently knows how to do email correctly, unless they've done rock your email list, which is my course. And so I went to the people that were doing it right. And I got certified as an email marketing. Like I dorked out on it. I'm a, y'all figured out I'm a dork. And then I was like, well, I can't not share this with other musicians. So I put a course together. I started talking more about it at at music conferences and kept getting training in how to really present this information in a way that's concise because what musicians got time? They're like, people got two, three jobs. They're trying to get in the studio. They're trying to tour and like deal with families. And so I'm like, how can I concisely present all of this and make a difference and keep using myself as a guinea pig for all of the things that I think are working and trying out. I have a framework called the musician success cycle that really gives yourself permission to focus on exactly where you are. Not if you're creating, if you're in the studio, like, cool, don't think about pitching a promotion and don't skip the step in the middle. That's like setting up some doing the admin. So we've got this beautiful cycle that I use the basis of my whole, I have a mastermind called Amplify. I've been running for about seven years. And that's, it gives people so much power to just own where they're at. And anyone comes on and they're like, I'm so overwhelmed. First question anyone in the group will ask will be like, well, what phase are you in of the musician success? And everyone's like, oh my God, I forgot. <laughs> yes, I'm not focusing. It's like, it's just this beautiful framework and I use it. And I do think it's the reason that I've been able to declare with clarity and then take action inside of the goal of let's go get a Grammy. And that's been present for me for you ask anyone on my email list, anyone in my in the key of success, which is my sort of coaching world who has been around me for at least five days. Like, what does Cheryl want most? (laughs) Anyone will tell you, oh, Grammy, like my clarity is so clear that other people know how to show up for me. And I think that that's a big missing for a lot of musicians is like, if you want to tour and to do Spotify and to do licensing and to do this, like amazing. Yes, I am a big fan of doing all the things. But what's the most important thing right now? Like, what is the thing that's going to give you the biggest step up? to help all the other things that you want to do. And if you can give yourself the gift of focusing on that one thing and the clarity of like, this is what I'm going after right now, then other people are going to know how to step up. If you don't know what you want, people are not going to know how to show up and help you. Right. Great advice, man. We could end the interview right now. And I think you just dropped a value bomb right there. So you're talking about these coaching. So let's think back to what success for you maybe was 20 years ago. So you're saying like 2005, six, you were just starting to get into that music career. 
if you were to define success back then and having that clarity, maybe you didn't have or did have, and then what do you define as a successful musician today for you? Yeah, I think back then, I mean, in my 20s, I was super clear that I wanted a Grammy. All my passwords were Grammy by 30, Grammy or bust. I'm definitely not 30 anymore. My best friend planted the seed on my birthday. My 23rd birthday was February 23rd, and it was the only time that the Grammys were on that date. So the Grammys were playing. I'm watching them with my friend February 23rd on my 23rd birthday. And she was like, and I was doing my very first album. I was still in the studio. And she was like, you could win a Grammy. Seed planted. So at 30, I didn't have a Grammy at 30. Wasn't even a member of the Recording Academy then. Like, I didn't even know how it worked, right? Like, I just kind of was like, And then I started getting all these panic attacks about like, it's too late, blah, blah, blah. And what I didn't do was acknowledge all of the tours I had done, all the money I had made, all the licenses. So I really started to look at the small wins along the way and realize I'm on the path of someone who's creating something or aiming to create something of Grammy quality. And then the Grammy started to not matter as much, but it was still sort of this lighthouse, right? It was sort of guiding. Like if I'm creating things and getting it out there and having an impact, then I think it will lead that way. And that was still a goal. So it's not an end game for me, the Grammy. So I sort of shifted what success meant for me. And I think it turned into a little bit more of collaboration and partnering with people that I really respect and creating something really allows for self-expression. Like mine, If it was a film score, like the storytellers, the directors, the script writer, you know, like finding that creativity and self-expression through partnership. And those became like my three words, self-expression, partnership, creativity. And so when those three things were present, I knew that I was on track. So it's interesting how you've been focused for so long on that Grammy that now it's possibly going to happen for you. Maybe not. So the collaboration is where you really ended up finally finding that, at least the nomination, right, for you. And my guess is that probably has been even more fun and more fulfilling. So call it the success or that. I think people, as I talk to a lot of people about success, fulfillment seems to be where they really find the joy. Like success seems to be a little bit fleeting of like, oh, I achieved the thing and now what? Right. Right. Yeah. As you achieve bigger things, you're actually building a bigger body, meaning like you're expanding your capacity to deal with bigger things bigger problems, bigger criticisms, bigger whatever comes with every time you achieve one of your goals. So of course, that's not going to be the end all be all success. And to me, maybe success is just constantly coming up with really satisfying goals, like that could be success. So to me, success is a you have to define it. Like for some people, it is financial, I'm making 100% of my money for paying all my bills from music, like, great. And when you start paying all your bills, like paying all your bills is boring. Like, do you want to develop? Do you want to create wealth? Like what's after being able to pay your bills, right? Because that is going to start to feel really small. And right now it might feel really big and a big challenge. And at some point you're going to normalize the big stuff so that it feels normal. And then you're like, cool, now it's big. And that's just growth, right? And that's my happy place. I like to live in that growth and expansion. And I think what's I've also found is as people have reached that growth and found that success or whatever with the financial or just with their music in general, what typically happens is they want to teach other people or share that. And I think in a lot of ways, the happiness and joy that these really just amazing people do is they want to give back. It's almost like they're like, okay, I've gotten to the top of mountain. I want to bring more people with me so they can feel that same thing and speed up their journey, right? Yeah. I mean, the big thing for me is just like not having a lot of independent women musicians showing what's possible. And I think when they do get into a place of like, this is what's possible, there are a lot that are, but I think they're also just like, 
it does feel like there's twice as much hustle and twice as much work. Like there's not a lot of time to be like, cool, now I have the time and the luxury of being a woman in this very male-centric industry to give back. And not to say that there are a lot of organizations and a lot of women that are doing that. And I do see inside of the marketing world and inside of the coaching that it is, especially with independent musician communities, very male-driven. So I do feel like that's important to just be someone that's like, this is what's possible. This is how I did it. This is what I'm particularly doing. These are the hurdles that I experienced. These are the self-sabotaging habits that I had to break. And I would love for someone to declare that they want a Grammy and to not have it take them 20 years. Like, I would love that. <laughs> so I granted, like, mine is coming and it will be 20 years, like almost to the day, right? If you want to talk about that, February 23rd, 2003 was when I turned 20. So it's 2023 next year and the Grammys will be the 5th of February. And so do I think that it has to be 20 years? No, there are people that have been working on it for 50 years and haven't gotten it. But that I don't think it's a function of time necessarily. So if you could rewind back the clock and give yourself some advice, what advice would you give yourself or that younger version of you knowing what you know now? At this moment, I would say don't change anything because it's all working out. But I might say be patient. I think that just the commitment to growth is not a one-time thing. And I think I knew that inherently, but to just get permission to do that would be really nice. Like no one said like, yeah, it's okay to keep working on yourself and not feel like there's ever an end. So I think that that's important. And the title of my album being The Passenger, I called it that because I felt like I was getting to a point of really trying to like force the outcome and things weren't happening the way I wanted to. And I was like, what if I just let go and let someone else drive? And not necessarily from a point of laziness or weakness, but more from a point of trust, trusting the process, trusting my own skills, trusting the universe, trusting my partners. Like what would it look like to be a master passenger? versus someone who always needs to force this outcome and do it themselves and do it alone, which is a very common independent musician thing is like, I can do it myself, I might as well. Yeah, I think a lot opens up when you can kind of lean back a little bit. And I know we're about out of time, but I'm curious, as you look back on your career in music, or even prior to that, is there anybody that's like mentored you or best advice that you can think back and say, man, that was probably the best advice I've been given that's helped me in my career? There's a couple pieces like musically Rob Mathis, who is the most famous person you'll never hear of. I read an article describing him. You know, he does a lot of orchestrations for Sting and Bruce Springsteen and like directs the Kennedy Center Honors and just conductor and composer. But he was sort of local to me growing up in Connecticut and always had this holiday concert and he would get these famous musicians to play with him. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was so I've been in this choir. He always had a choir of saints and friends, family and friends and people volunteering to just sing in these choirs. and next year's the 30th anniversary of this concert. And I was thinking about it and just how his music is like jazz meets fusion meets pop meets orchestral. And it, like the arrangements and the chords are just, they're so cool and a little weird. And I think that that really played into musically just having a career, but always standing true to his, like such a big heart with to his family and things like that. So it was really such a joy to be able to tell him that like, I mean, he's known that he's been a mentor. I've emailed him questions and like, how do you get out of a writer's block? And he gave me some really cool, like if I normally, I noticed that if I'm always starting the melody on the fifth, I'll start on the third and like just actual like musical pieces of advice, as well as just an example of like how to really have an extraordinary career with extraordinary people and not make it about you he doesn't he doesn't make it. it's always about someone else so it was such a joy to be able to like tell him i texted him that i got this grammy nomination and then i saw him at the concert it was a couple of weeks ago i don't know it was last saturday and just have him be like grammy nominee you know like he's got grammy nominations all over the place and what wins and emmys and like all sorts of stuff but it's really cool to see that come full circle and i think in terms of just like business marketing like some good advice i got from someone else was don't be afraid to get on a plane 
I think there's a lot of like, should I move to LA or Georgia or like, where should I go? Should I be in Georgia being Atlanta or New York? And it like doesn't really matter if you're willing to just do what it takes to get the relationships that you need. And that maybe that means getting on a plane or a train in my case, then you should be good to go. Awesome. I know we're out of time, but I wanted to say thank you so much for being willing to share with, hopefully a lot of people are going to hear this and hopefully it'll inspire them. I, I love the idea of the passenger. I think it can apply to everybody's life, really, if you think about it. It's just, we're all on this ride. And no matter how much we think we're the driver and the conductor of that train, oftentimes there's things that'll happen that are way out of our control and being okay to go along with that, but also being willing to get on the plane when we need to and, and change it up if need be. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. I really hope things go well for the Grammys. Be cheering you. I'm not a vote for the Grammys. If I were, you'd have my vote. I've listened nearly the whole album now, more than once even. So congratulations on that nomination and best of luck. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, it's Jason here, and I hope you've gotten a lot of value out of this episode. Be sure to check out our show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you'd like to support our podcast, there's a few things that you can do to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, it will help ensure that you don't miss a future episode. Second, if you'll share it with your friends on social media or send it via email or message, it helps us spread the word as well. And third, if you'll leave an honest review, it really helps with the algorithms so that other people can find our podcast. Finding success and fulfillment in the music industry is possible, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.